My name's Phil, if I haven't met you before. Good that you can be here this morning as we consider this part of God's Word. Before we begin, I want to ask if there are any aspects of the Christian message that you just find hard to believe. Are there things that you read in the Bible, things that you talk about, that you just kind of doubt, that you find difficult to accept? Now, you don't have to shout them out. You can keep those to yourself for now. Although it actually is helpful to be real about these things. We don't need to hide them. We have an all-knowing God, but we are not all-knowing people. And so it's okay for us to not know things. But there are things you read in the Bible that are just difficult to accept. I'm going to give you some examples to help you think. There are people who might struggle with the Genesis account of creation. They might struggle to reconcile what you read in Genesis 1 and 2 with what we've observed from modern science. Maybe that's a struggle for you. Maybe you're someone who finds it pretty tricky to accept the, the spiritual realm. You know, that there are angels and demons, that there is a Holy Spirit, that there is a Satan. Maybe you just find that hard to accept. Maybe you struggle to accept the miracles that you read in the Bible. You know, the crossing of the Red Sea. Maybe the talking donkey is just a little bit too far for you. Maybe the idea of the sun standing still in the sky just is too much. For that matter, the idea of Jesus healing people. Or the greatest miracle of all, Jesus rising from the dead. Maybe that is something that you doubt. Maybe you doubt the accuracy or the reliability of the Bible. It's been a long time. It's been passed down through lots of hands. Is it really the Word of God? Maybe you struggle with the Bible's silence and seeming acceptance of slavery. Maybe you struggle with the Bible's teaching about gender roles in the church and in the home. Maybe you can't accept that the punishment for sin is death. Really? That seems too far. Maybe you struggle to accept that the solution for that problem is believing in a man that came back to life. I could keep going, couldn't I? There are lots of things that people doubt. And even Christians. There are so many things that the Bible teaches that we just find hard to believe. Things that seem irrational. Things that seem impossible. Now, I want to be clear. I believe there's actually very good and rational reasons to believe all of those things that I just said. I think the Bible, in the Bible, God actually gives us good reasons to believe them. So I'm not trying to make you doubt, but I want, to, want you to know that it's entirely okay to doubt. It's possible to live without doubts, but if you do doubt, I want you to know that God is not going to squish you. He's not going to smite you. He's not going to set your house on fire. And we know that because of passages like the one that we just read. Because you see, in Genesis 18, we see how God responds to someone whose doubts are so strong that when God makes Sarah a promise, she laughs in his face. She has so little confidence in what God has promised, so little certainty, so little faith that God will actually do what he said he would do. And yet when we see how God treats her, we'll see not only that it's okay for us to have doubts, but we'll also see God's way of helping us to overcome them. 
So we're going to take a look at this part of God's Word. If you've closed your Bibles, open them back up. Genesis chapter 18 is where we're beginning. Uh, But before we do that, how about I pray? Lord God, we thank you for your Word. We thank you that in it we have everything we need to know you with certainty. Lord, help us to hear your voice as you speak to us through your word now. Help us to grow. Help us to change. Help us to trust you completely, we pray, for the glory of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Now, we're going to come back to Sarah's doubts in just a moment. But before we get to that, the first eight verses of Genesis 18, well, they, they show us something that's really extraordinary. And then at the same time, they show us something that's really ordinary. One extraordinary thing, one ordinary thing. The extraordinary thing comes in the very first verse where it says, the Lord appeared to Abraham. And if you've read your Bible a little bit, that sounds like a you know, a perfectly normal thing to read in the Bible. If you read it in the newspaper, you might raise your eyebrows, but in the Bible, that seems normal. A Lord appearing to people. It's actually not. You see, in the Bible, God often appeared to people in visions and in dreams. Other times, he sends angels to appear to people as his representatives. He frequently spoke to people in audible voices. He regularly makes his presence felt with things like wind and fire and earthquake. But there's only actually a handful of occasions in the Bible where God actually appears to people in a human form. This is actually quite extraordinary what happens here. And so what we have here is unusual. And it's made even more unusual by the fact that Abraham doesn't even realise it's God. Verse 2 says, Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. So God has appeared to Abraham, but Abraham, Abraham doesn't see it. He sees three men, and later on we'll find out that that is God in a human form with, with two angels. So that's the extraordinary thing. That is, that's kind of mind-blowing. That's unique. The ordinary thing comes next when the author spends seven verses telling us about how Abraham made these three men some lunch. And he goes into quite specific detail. There's only a handful of occasions where God appears to people, where the all-knowing, all-powerful, holy one appears to people. You think this is going to be big, something huge is going to happen. What happens? They have some lunch. And you have to ask why. You see, God has given us these words to read today. God has preserved these words for thousands of years for people like you and I to read them. And you have to, why this? Why is he telling us about Abraham making some lunch? Surely there are more significant things that God could tell us about. Well, I think it's here for a reason. Everything in the Bible is there for a reason. We need to understand why. And why? It's because God wants us to see what it is like to grow in faith. You've got to remember, Abraham is just an ordinary guy like you and me. He is ordinary in every sense of the word. He's an ordinary guy that God called out of sin and into relationship with the Creator. He's an ordinary guy who God made promises to. He's an ordinary guy who has been loved by God. And he's an ordinary guy who is still learning to trust God. 
See, Abraham's not some superhero. He's just like you and me. God did amazing things through him. But he's still growing in his faith. He's still learning what it actually means to trust God. He's just like any of us. He's on a journey. And just like you and me, he has good days where he trusts God completely. And he has less than good days where he cheats on his wife to try and bypass God's promises. We've seen Abraham at his absolute worst, haven't we? In Genesis 18, Abraham is having a good day. Because three strangers come. As far as he's concerned, they're strangers. He doesn't know who they are. They pay him a visit and Abraham shows to them the kind of hospitality that God has showed to him. See, this is here to show us that Abraham is growing. God has treated him with kindness, with love, with generosity, with grace. And now Abraham is showing that to others. He doesn't know that it is God, and yet he treats these three travellers like royalty. He loves like he has been loved. And this little episode shows us one of the signs that you are really growing as a disciple of Jesus, as someone who worships God, is that you will show hospitality. You see, the New Testament actually makes a huge deal about hospitality. It's not just a coincidence that we like to eat food together in this church. When you start to really grasp the length that God has gone to, to love you. When you experience that love, you'll do what Abraham did. You'll go out of your way to love other people, to bless them. And we'll, we'll do what Abraham did. We'll practically beg people to let us serve them. That's what he does, isn't he? He's begging these guys, please, please let me cook your lunch. You'll welcome strangers because you've been a stra- you were a stranger and God welcomed you. You'll invite people into your homes because God invited you into his eternal home. You'll provide for people's needs because God has provided everything you need and more. When you know God's love, you'll show hospitality. Now, you'll show it in big ways. Because most of us, when we hear the word hospitality, what do you think about? You think about inviting your friends over for a meal. And that is hospitality. But hospitality is much bigger than just that. First of all, Christian hospitality is bigger because it reaches far beyond just our friends. You see, you have your friends over for dinner. That's great. Everyone does that. But we are people who have been radically loved. We were God's enemies and he loved us. He, he welcomed us to dinner when we were hating him, when we were opposed to him, when we wanted nothing to do with him. That, that kind of sets the tone of our hospitality. Invite your friends and family around for dinner. Keep doing that. But can you do more? Are there people that you can reach out to beyond those who are going to invite you around to their place in return? Christian hospitality is far-reaching. All right, the second thing about Christian hospitality is that it's more than just food. (laughs) It's about caring for people, isn't it? And while filling someone's belly is a great thing to do, it's a great way to care for them, it's not the only way. And, in fact, sometimes it can actually get in the way of caring for people. I can think of an example. Uh, In my previous church, there was a woman who... uh, She was a very low-income earner. She worked a few jobs... Uh, She was a single mum. Her son got bullied, and so she decided to send him to the local Christian school, which meant she was up for private school fees, 
Long story short, she did not have much at all. Her son was in the youth group. She wanted to come around to our house for a meal. Well, sorry, she wanted to chat to us about some issues he was having. We invited her for a meal and she, you could tell it made her really uncomfortable. She didn't want to come. And we'd keep trying to reschedule, like, oh, how about Saturday dinner? Oh, how about Monday lunch? How about... Anytime we scheduled a meal time, she wouldn't come. She's like, no, no, sorry, I can't do it. She'd sort of make excuses. Eventually, she opened up to us and she said, look, I'm, I'm going to be really uncomfortable about eating with you. We eat really simple food. And she said, if I come over, can we just have sandwiches? And we did that. And it was good. Now, that's not how we normally do hospitality. If you know Janice, she loves to cook. She loves to kind of treat people. But in that circumstance, it was actually going to be uncaring to do that. It would have made this woman really uncomfortable. Food is not the only way of caring for people, and bear that in mind. If you've ever felt that you're so anxious about the meal that you're cooking for people, that they spend the whole dinner sort of consoling you, you're not showing hospitality. They are. Do you understand that? We need to kind of rethink hospitality a little bit. Go out, cook people meals, that's okay, but make sure your priority is caring for people. The author of the Hebrews actually picks up this passage when he reminds us, he says, Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by so doing, some people, like Abraham, have uh, have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Friends, hospitality is is a really key part of being a disciple of Jesus. So let me encourage you to care for those around you. Anyway, that's a bit of a side point to what we're actually doing this morning. Because as Abraham's guests sit down to eat their lunch, well, they start talking. You see it in verse 9, they say, where's your wife, Sarah? They asked him. They're in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, this is a strange prediction for a random stranger to make about your wife. But as we already know, this random stranger is God himself. And what we have here is God once again confirming the promise that he's already made to Abram a number of times, right? But here's the thing. When God first told Abraham that he would have many descendants, Abraham had a wife, Sarah, who was barren. She had never been able to have children. God promised children to a couple that couldn't have children. But this is 13 years later. God's saying it again. So not only has Sarah still not been able to have children, she is now very, very old. You see, what is happening here almost seems cruel. God is promising children to a woman that has never been able to conceive, and now she is well and truly past the age that any woman would be able to conceive. And then he brings it up again. He says, you're going to have a son. Now, humanly speaking, the idea of Sarah having a child is just insane. It's impossible. And so what does Sarah do? Well, she treats it as an impossible idea. She laughs. And not a happy laugh. Not a funny laugh. It's the cynical laugh, isn't it? It's a miserable laugh. She's spent her whole life in pain over this thing that she longs for and can't have. 
And now God's bringing it up again. You can almost hear the tone in her voice, can't you? And she's once again forced to contemplate the only thing that she desperately wants that she doesn't have. And that she'll never have. She laughs. She doubts God's promises. And she doesn't just doubt it. She she laughs in his face. She mocks it. It's ridiculous. Who could believe it? Well, in verse 13, God hears Sarah's laughter. And the Lord says to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? He says, is anything too hard for the Lord? In fact, the word hard there is the word that's used for miracles. Is anything too miraculous? Is anything too wonderful? Is anything too amazing? Is there anything too impossible for God? Sarah denies it. She's scared. She thinks she's in trouble. I didn't laugh, she says. And you can just imagine God's knowing smile as she responds. Oh, yes, you did. You laughed, Sarah. You laughed because you couldn't believe that I would do what I promised. You laughed because it seemed too good to be true. But you just wait, Sarah. Because one year later, just as God had promised, Sarah is laughing again. But this time it's the joyous laugh as she holds her newborn son, Isaac, whose name means laughter. You know, God's got the the inside joke here. He's sort of having a laugh to himself. Because in 21, 6, chapter 21, verse 6, Sarah says, God has brought me laughter. Before she had a mocking laughter, a cynical laughter, a laughter that doubted God's word. And now she has a joyous laughter. She says, everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. She added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Who would have dreamed that this old barren woman could have a son? No no one. No one would have believed it. Everyone thinks that's crazy. It was crazy. It was nonsense. It was completely irrational. Sarah was right to laugh it off as a cruel joke. But is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too amazing for God to accomplish? And of course the answer is no. So there's no, absolutely no denying that God could do it. There was absolutely no reason to doubt that the God who created the whole universe simply by speaking could give an old woman a son. There's absolutely no reason to doubt that God could do it. But here's the clincher. Do you see why God did do it? He could do it, but, but why? Why did he do it? Why did he keep his promise? Why did he give Sarah this joy? Well, chapter 21, verse 1 gives us the answer, and it's an important answer for us. It begins, chapter 21, now the Lord was gracious to Sarah. And that's it. The Lord was gracious to Sarah. The reason that God chose to make the impossible possible. The reason God chose to turn Sarah's cynical laughter into joyous laughter. The reason that God chose to turn Sarah's doubting into believing. 
is because the Lord was gracious to Sarah. And friends, that means a whole lot to you too. Because you might be here this morning and you have doubts about God. Now, you might doubt that God is good when you see the pain and suffering in this world. You might doubt that the words that you read in the Bible are truly his voice. You might doubt that if there is a God who created the whole universe, that he would even give you a passing thought. Why would he care about you? You might doubt that he even exists. Now, your doubts might be small. They might be more significant. You might be someone here who just thinks the whole idea of God is is a joke, a fairy tale. Maybe you're like Sarah, and in your heart there is a cynical laughter towards some of God's promises. Well, friends, God hears your laughter. He knows when you're scoffing at the things that he has told you. He knows, and he's not angry about it. You know what? He's saying, you just wait. You did laugh, and you will laugh. You just wait. I'll make you laugh. I'll give you so much joy, you'll spray milk out of your nose. That's what God's saying. Because 2,000 years ago, God brought another baby boy into this world. In Genesis, he gave a son to a woman who couldn't conceive. In the Gospels, he gives a son to another woman, a woman who couldn't have children because she didn't have a husband. She didn't have a man to have sex with. Once again, God chose to make the impossible possible. He chose to do something completely irrational. He chose to enter this world to die in your place. It's foolish. It's crazy. It's the kind of plan that makes you laugh. It's ridiculous. And you probably have experienced that laughter. If you've ever tried to explain the gospel to someone who doesn't believe it, you, you start to feel stupid yourself as you say it. It is insane. It's irrational. But do you know why God did it? Do you know why God chose to follow through on that crazy plan? It's because the Lord was gracious to you. Friends, you might be here this morning and you have doubts about God. You might have serious doubts. You might have little niggling uncertainties about certain things that God has promised. Friends, know this. There is nothing too amazing for the Lord. And the reason that he's done these amazing things is all for you. It's because the Lord was gracious to you. Friends, I hope this morning that you'll marvel at that news. I hope that you can echo these words that Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 2. He says, What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived... The things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. He has revealed joy to us. I hope you have that joy. Let me pray. Our Lord God, as we read your word, as we read your promises, particularly as we read your promises to us in the gospel, some of them seem ridiculous. A lot of it seems ridiculous. 
Why you, the God who could create a whole universe, would want anything to do with us is crazy. Why you would want anything to do with us when we don't want anything to do with you and when we ignore you and reject you is crazy. Why you would send your perfect son into this world to suffer and die in our place so that we could be forgiven. Lord, it's crazy. Why you would not only forgive us, but that you would adopt us as your own children. That you would pour blessing upon blessing upon blessing. That you would welcome us into a relationship with you that will last forever. That you will welcome us into a new creation where there is no more sin, no more pain, where there is nothing wrong. Lord, that is crazy. And yet, Lord, we're reminded this morning that you did all these things for us. Help us to comprehend the riches of your grace, we pray. Help us to have joy at knowing that we are more loved than we could even imagine. Help us to trust you, we ask, for the glory of our Lord Jesus. Amen.